Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. All right. Good morning, everybody. Favorite day of the week, man. Sunday fun day. Love this. Love being together. Love worshiping together. Uh, love this. Last Sunday, uh, <laughs> watched you from home. You ever have one of those nasty summer head colds? No, me either. So I just was watching SpongeBob SquarePants. So I was... But yeah, just one of those summer, oh, so it's good to be back here. I will say this. Um, I love the fact that we have the online capabilities. And if you're viewing online this morning, I love that you can tune in. And I know some of you, uh, you can't get here physically. You can't get here. You're sick or like I was last week. But I will say this, and this was abundantly obvious to me last week. There is nothing like being in the building. Like you just can't, you just can't sense what's going on here in the room. So I'm watching. I'm like, oh, right on there. Yeah, that's all good. And y'all had baptisms last week, and I had to miss that. And and man, that's just not the same. So it's good to be back here with you. Let me just give you a couple quick things to think about, just so you know this. A lot of you, you you got the email, and a lot of you know this, but our former pastor. Uh, Jerry was pastor for 26 years. I mean, that's just so rare today. You don't even know how rare that is. Uh, 26 years, and his wife did pass away this last Tuesday, fairly suddenly, kind of a tragic event. And so I would ask you, man, pray for him. Pray for him. I love Jerry, you know, and I was calling him. We were talking on the phone. I said, brother, tell me how you're doing. And he goes, I'm a wreck. And I was like, right on. It's good of you to say that. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, Rick, you know what I'm talking about. And, and many of you know that. It's just, it's very difficult. And so be in prayer for them. The funeral will be here in the building next Sunday. Visitation at 4. Funeral will follow at 5. So some of you I know have no clue what we're talking about, but some of you, you you absolutely know, and that will be a significant uh, event. And so just be be here to support them and to honor the family, and that will be a big deal kind of. And then uh, one other thing, I want to show you a picture of one of the great blessings that's going on around here. I think we have a picture. Do we have a picture Maybe we'll just look. Oh, yeah, there we go. This is Ty and Ty's wife, Amber. And Pastor Ty is our new kids pastor. And so we are uber excited about that. I don't know if you all know this, but one of the hardest things to find in the church is a good kids pastor. It's just, it's just murder trying to find a good a kids pastor. And uh, Pastor Vicki, who, by the way, Pastor Vicki is at home sick today with Pastor Carly. They're at home sick. And so, uh, man, just... Just uh, thrilled to have Ty here. They'll be here. Their first Sunday will be August 15. August 15. Pastor Doug, I didn't mean to leave you out. If you're watching, I know Pastor Doug's at home. They're all sick together. But uh, uh, it'll be August 15 will be their first Sunday. And so I'm just going to ask you like we always do. New pastor on staff. They're moving from a different city. Just keep in mind what that might be like. And make them feel welcome. And let's support them. And if you've got kids and kids ministry, we got to get behind them. That kids ministry is, is, is just super, super important to the longevity of our church, but also to the kingdom. And so keep that in mind. Uh, I was, uh, had a conversation. Uh, I have siblings. I have a, an older brother and an older sister. And every once in a while, y'all who have siblings, you probably do this. Uh, we, we were just talking, my brother and I are 11 months apart. And we were just talking about what are the silly things that we did as kids. And, you know, like when you're a kid and you kind of think, you're kind of cool, and, and how do you show off? And so I was about four years old, and my brother was five years old, and, and uh, I don't remember where these came from. I don't remember where we got them, but we got whistles. Exactly. How cool is that? And so 
Uh, we got whistles. I don't know where they came from, but we got whistles. And we thought we were really cool with our whistles. And so we lived in a neighborhood where the houses are all about this close together, and there's a million kids running around the neighborhood. And we just ran the neighborhood with our whistles, and we're just blowing our whistles, and we're blowing them to kids, and we're blowing them at kids, and we're just showing off about how cool, because exactly, because how cool that is. And so uh, it's funny because uh, it was good for a little while, and then pretty soon, no one was getting how cool we were. They, they weren't understanding it. And so we thought, we need to get the word out there to more people. That's what we thought. And so we ran down to the end of our block, which is, I don't know, it's, it's, it's only a quarter of a block. And our, our blocks all ran like this. And then the busy street runs this way. And so we ran out to the busy street. And the busy street, and if you're watching online and you don't know the neighborhood, that's okay. But our busy street, that part would be like at Lindale if you were there at 494. There's like two lanes going each way, and there's all kinds of traffic, and there's lights. And we thought, these folks need to know about us. And so initially we were blowing our whistles, and I think it was somewhat effective. I don't know that people were really feeling us. I don't know they were really getting us. And we thought what would help is if we were in the street, in the street. And so we ran out into the middle of the street and we're blowing our whistles at cars and folks are kind of slowing down and they're kind of swerving. And then finally one car gets it. So I put my hands up like this. I stood in the middle of the street and I put my hands up like this and the car actually stopped. And a woman who looked just like my mother got out of the car. I, like the neighbors told my folks what we were doing. And she got out and by the grace of God, I blacked out, and I don't remember anything after that. But, but I was just thinking, like, all the crazy things we do when we want to show off, and we want people to notice us, and we want people to see us, and we want them to, to, to know about us and to pay attention to us. And then, because this is the way my brain works, I thought about this in my head. Like, how would God show off? How would God show up? How does God show up? Now, here's the big difference. When you and I show off, we want people to see us, and that's the extent of us, because we're just us. And we still do it as, hum as, as adults. We'll do things periodically. They're just kind of our naive, you know, our, our subtle way, rather, of saying, hey, look at me, notice me, pay attention to me. When God shows off, when eyes are drawn to heaven, when people see God, when they see Jesus, salvation happens. Right? So I was thinking, I wonder how God shows off. And, of course, my brain went right to the same place yours did. I mean, the first thing I thought of was, yes, the platypus. That's what I thought of immediately. <laughs> and I don't know if you know about the platypus, man. That's the weirdest, freakiest, coolest animal. That was. It's just the weirdest thing. So they have bills like a duck. They have a tail like a beaver. They have these web type of claws like, a, like, a, like an otter. And, and they're, they're, they're just the way they look. They're the only mammals, like I hope you all are writing this stuff down. They're the only mammals that lay eggs. They're mammals and they lay eggs. And they can, they can sting with this venom that probably doesn't kill an adult, but it kills small animals. And then something really cool about them is if you notice this. Here's their eyes. Oh, do people, okay. Oh, oh, yeah. And so here's their eye. And then they have this slit, and that's where their ear is. Now, here's the thing. They hunt in the water. This is really weird. They hunt in the water. And when they go into the water, they can't see and they can't hear, and they can't smell. And God created the platypus with this weird electrolocation sense where they actually can sense electromagnetically what's going on in the body of their prey based on the muscle contraction of the prey. When the prey contracts its muscle, it gives us off this electrolocation, and, and they catch them, and they can kill them. I mean, it's the craziest thing. 
So I thought, that's cool. That's a way that God could show off. But then I thought, but what about something big in nature? What about like lightning storm? And, and we hear in the, in the Bible the story like, man, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. And I thought, what if God were to move a mountain? What if that's how he'd show off? And because I'm a kid who grew up in Iowa, then naturally my brain went to this place. And I just thought, like, that would be cool. If God just like moved, my, you know, so we, you'd be talking about great ranges. And you go, the Himalayans. And you go, the Swiss Alps. And then you go... The Iowa Alps, that would be cool. Like, welcome to Iowa. But still my head keeps going back here, and I keep thinking about this. In all seriousness, how would God show off? When God wants to draw attention to himself, when God wants people to see him for who he is, when God wants people to look at Christ, when God wants to cause salvation to happen and the Holy Spirit to draw people, how would God do that? This is going to be the, one of the craziest things that you'll ever think or here is what we're going to talk about this morning. I would say if you're a follower of Jesus, this matters. If you call Cedar Valley your church, this stuff matters in a really big way. If you say, hey, Neil, I'm here this morning. I'm not really a follower of Jesus. I'm curious. I'd like to be part of the conversation. First of all, thank you for being here. I love having you here. Keep coming. Keep asking questions. Keep wrestling with faith like the rest of us. But I think it matters to you, and especially if you came to this church and you think, would I come back to this church? I think you need to know this stuff. I think it'll be important. Ephesians chapter 3 in your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. You know this if you're part of Cedar Valley, whether you're here or online. You know this, that uh, uh, we've been in a, a, a series on the book of Ephesians. We're going to take 12 weeks. We could have easily taken two years. This is about week six. And uh, we're, we're seeing this really interesting letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul. We don't think it was just to the church at Ephesus. We think it was a circular letter. It went on this postal route that we see in the first two chapters of the Revelation. And Ephesus was probably the last place this letter stopped. So Ephesians chapter 3. If you haven't, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please. If you're new here, uh, you just know this about us. We don't up, down, up, down the whole morning. It's not like a workout in here. But when we read our primary text, we stand. And the reason we do that is it just reminds us. It's a great physical reminder to us that this isn't just a book that some folks wrote. This is actually God now. He's speaking to us. This is Ephesians chapter 3. I'm starting in verse 1. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, verse 3, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Verse 7, by God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Verse 8, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Verse 10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11, this was his eternal plan, 
which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy word. We've come this morning to, to worship you first and foremost. That's our desire. We want to worship you. We want to bring you praise. We want to draw all eyes to you. But in doing so, God, now part of our worship, we want to do it in your holy word. And we're asking you to speak to our hearts. From what we just read, God, speak to our hearts. Teach us, instruct us. What is it you're up to? What are you doing here? What are you doing in our lives personally, in each individual? Speak that to us, God, in a way that is distinct, that we'll know that it was your voice. Reveal yourself in a way that draws us to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So interesting, interesting, interesting text. Wait till you see this thing unpack. This is the Apostle Paul, and Paul writes this. If you look in your Bibles, it says, when I think of all this. Remember, this is Paul, and anytime we talk about Paul, I think you have to flash back, and you've got to remember who Paul was. Paul was a Jew taught by the greatest rabbi maybe in Israel's history. It was Gamaliel. He was raised in Tarsus. He was raised up in Jerusalem. He was born in Tarsus, raised up in Jerusalem, and he's a Jew He is a Jew, and he hates Christians. He hates this new sect called Christians. He hates them, and he's traveling around, and he's dragging them into court, and he's trying to have them killed. That's the Apostle Paul. His name formerly, then we call him Saul. You remember this. And then he has this encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Now, just stop. Think about this for a minute. You saw them crucify Jesus. You saw it happen. You watched it with your own eyes. You saw that he died. You saw that they pulled him down. You saw that they put, prepared him for a tomb. Some of you saw him put in the tomb. And now after three days, some of you folks are running into him around town. That's just, that's just got to have some effect. And Paul had a really radical, I mean, I don't know what else you would call anybody's experience, but we always say Paul had a really radical experience, right? And so now Paul writes this letter. And Paul says, when I think of all this, this is referring back to chapter 2. And if you look at chapter 2, in Ephesians, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Paul was most recently talking about this. You remember this? Through Christ and his death, when we receive forgiveness from Christ, we acknowledge our sin, we trust that he died for us on the cross. When we receive that, we're reconciled. We're made at peace with God. Formerly, we weren't at peace with God because of our own sin. Now, just through that alone, we can have, potentially, we can have peace with God if we'll receive Christ. Okay, so Paul was talking about the fact that this reconciliation happens between us. But even then Paul went on to say that's not completely the reconciliation story. If this happens between us and God, necessarily this reconciliation has to happen between men. Now remember this, Paul was talking specifically about reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles. Now according to Jews, Gentile was anybody who's not a Jew. So there's only two groups. They're in all these different groups. There's Jews and there's those who ain't. There's Jews and there's non-Jews. They're Gentiles. And if you remember this, there, there, was, there was no love lost between those two groups. Jews felt that Gentiles, the non-Jews, were only created to fuel the fires of hell. Jews commonly in their vernacular referred to Gentiles as dogs, as in, hey, I saw one of those dogs. That was common language. Jews were never in any way, this is how far, this is the extent to which it went, doesn't matter if it's an emergency. Doesn't matter if life is at stake. A Jew is never allowed to assist a Gentile in the birthing of a child. You are not allowed to help. Because if you do, you're responsible for bringing another one of those pagan Gentile dogs into the world. Gentiles, on the other hand, felt that Jews were the homicidal enemies of all earth. 
These two groups, there was no love lost. And he just told us, no, 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 no. Because you've been reconciled like this now, everybody has to be reconciled like this. Across the deepest divides, across all nations, across all ethnicities, this is supposed to happen. And we talked about that quite a bit. So now Paul is referring back and he says, so when I think of all of this. And then he goes on and he says, when I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, stop. If you're a Jew... And you have not come to the realization that Jesus is the Messiah, and you just read Paul say that, your next step is to spit. You spit on Paul. No Jew does that. Paul, you ain't a Jew. You wouldn't do anything to help a Gentile. He says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, on the, for the benefit of you Gentiles, parenthesis, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. That's, that was Paul's calling. A Jew of the Jews was called to go reach Gentiles. Then he says this, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. It's a Greek word, mysterion or mousterion. And, And we think of these great mysteries like, who made Stonehenge? Or was there a second gunman in the grassy knoll with JFK's assassination? Or where is the where is Cleopatra buried? You can think of all this. This was one of those mysteries that was soon going to become known. Some things we just can't know, we can't know. Mysteries we think of like things we can't know. This is one that is going to be revealed. Paul says, God himself has revealed it to me. It used to be a mystery. It used to be a mystery. Now it's been revealed. And he talks about it this way. God didn't reveal it, this plan, this great plan. He's building up this intensity, right? He revealed this plan to previous generations. He didn't. But now, currently, by his Holy Spirit, he has revealed it, this mysterious plan, the mousterion, this, 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 that has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Shh. Everybody pay attention. He's going to reveal it. This is the great plan. Are you ready? He says this. Both Gentiles and Jews, both Jews and non-Jews, both Jews and every other ethnicity who believe the good news. The good news is that Jesus died for our sins. And believe it doesn't mean a cognitive activity. I always say that. It means I fully accept it. I am fully on board with it. Who believe the good news, they share equally in the riches inherited by God's choice. We're all one people. We're now all one people. We're all one. I don't care Jew, Gentile, I don't care your ethnicity, we're all one people. And he goes on and he says, both Jews and non-Jews are part of the same body. And both Jews and everybody else enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ. Awesome. That was the plan. The plan was that we would all be one. Got it? And then he says this. God's purpose in all this was. Now, here he's going to give us the why. I'm just one of those people. I think the why is always the big thing. That's the most important thing. Why? It's inherent in all of us. Why? Why? We're little kids. Why? Why? Some of you have little kids. Why? Why? Now he's going to tell you why. Why was his plan that everybody should worship together? Why was that God's plan? Why is it God's plan that all ethnicities should actually worship together? Why? That's the big question. Here's why. Watch this. It was to use the church, how? To display his wisdom in its rich variety. To who? To all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God's intent was to show off. 
God's intent was to draw all eyes, to draw all attention to him. How? By having everybody worship together as one in the church. That was the purpose of the church. That's why God devised this plan. Now, here's the kicker. Paul could have said this a number of ways, and he could have used all kinds of words. And you've got to see this because language is really important. So we use, if you're newer to our church, if you're viewing online, we use the New Living Translation. I think it's a friendly read. It's a solid, well-researched, well-languaged translation. I love it, right? But there are other translations. And if you're newer to this, you just need to know this. Different Bible translations don't say different things. They say the exact same things in different ways. Just as, as, as we progress, just so it's more contemporary language. But I do want to take you back. I want you to see our translation, which says, his wisdom in its rich variety. I'm just telling you, these all come from the Greek language. And Paul used a specific Greek word. And you, you just got to see this stuff because it, it's just too good to, to miss this. It says, displays wisdom in its rich variety. Now, I'm just going to go back to the translation we used to use, the New International Version. Watch how it says it. Rich variety, wisdom in its rich variety. It says instead... God's intent was that now, through the church, just like we said, the manifold wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God. He, he's, God's trying to show off. He's trying to show his manifold wisdom. He's trying to show how we all worship together as one, all nations, all languages, all tribes, all ethnicities. This word manifold in the Greek word is palopoikolos, and it literally means this. It means, get ready, it means variegated or it means many colors. Somebody just get that. His, God in his many colored wisdom. God wants us all to do this because it demonstrates his manifold wisdom, his many colored wisdom. God is just showing off. When, we, when God can get everybody in the room to do this and come across all divides like, hey, educated, uneducated. Hey, rich. Hey, poor. Hey, different colors. Hey, different ethnicities. That is God showing off. When we do that, when we do that, God is just showing off if we will do that. Now, here's a, another important thing, a perspective. This actually, this this polypoikolos, this manifold, this many-colored wisdom, this was God's eternal plan. This is, he, he carried this out through Christ Jesus, but this is God's eternal plan. This has been God's plan through history. This, is, this has been the dream of God since eternity past. Uh, October uh, 28, 1963. Some of you might know that. Or August 28, 1963. I wouldn't expect you to know that. August 28, 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King gave a speech, and he talked about, I have a dream. I have a dream. Listen to me. Dr. Martin Luther King had a dream. No. God had a dream from eternity past. And God's dream was this, that he would colonize this planet with those who bear his image to carry out his name. Those who bear his image of all ethnicities, of all walks of life, of all levels of education, of all socioeconomics. That was God's eternal dream. And God doesn't dream like we do. We're like, oh, man, I was dreaming about that. I really hope that comes true. No, God's dream is like, folks, this is what I'm fixing to do. This is what I'm going to do. And God's dream is to show off through the church his proilopocalus, his, his, his manifold wisdom. And I hope you catch this for just a minute. And in this room, and if you're watching online, you're in this room, I want you to know this one truth, and that is this. God wants to change the world through us. God's dream was to change the world through us, to do something powerful through us, that it would be visible, that everybody would see it. 
that they would see a place where this is going on and it gets their attention because nobody else in the culture has it figured out. Nobody else in the culture right now, I don't know if you noticed this, nobody else in the culture can seem to get this done. And where it's supposed to be happening is in God's house, in God's church, with God's people. That's what's supposed to be happening here. So let me give you just history because you could say, oh, Neil, that, that was nice and you read a verse from the Bible and that's cool. I want to just walk you through just a moment of history, if I could. Just a moment of history. We know this, Genesis chapter 1. And, and if, you're not real, if you're newer to the Bible, don't sweat it. If in Genesis chapter 1, God makes everything. In Genesis chapter 2, God makes man. In Genesis chapter 3, man sins and the whole thing goes right into the tank until you get to Genesis chapter 12. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man. We always say Abraham, not yet. His name is Abram. God calls Abram and he says, I want you to leave the land of your mother and father. This is what he said to him. He says to him, leave your native country, leave your relatives, leave your father's family, go to the land that I'll show you, and I will make you into a great nation, singular. I will make you into a great nation. Way over here, when history starts, he finally gets a hold of Abram and he says, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation, singular. And then from about Genesis chapter 12 to about Genesis chapter 17, God is calling Abram to different acts of obedience, and Abraham, Abram does it. And sometimes he's disobedient, he does crazy things, right? But he just continues it, and something happens. And when you get just five chapters later, there's a distinct difference. And in Genesis chapter 17, he says, now he says, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, plural. He changes his name. If you think that was a typo, he changes his name. His name goes from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of many nations, ethnos, many ethnicities. You'll have so many descendants you won't even be able to count them. The Bible says this. If you're a follower of Jesus, who's your father? Abraham. We're Abraham's children. We're Abraham's children. And then we know that Abraham, out of Abraham came the nation of Israel. And from the nation of Israel came Messiah Jesus. And from the Messiah, right, Jesus came, walked the earth, lived, died for our sins. More importantly, rose from the dead, validated, proved that he was indeed God, that he was worthy to die for our sins. After he resurrected, he walked the earth another 40 days just running into folks. And then he ascends to God the Father Almighty from where he sits and he reigns and he rules today. And when he ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. We call when he sent the Holy Spirit, that was the starting of the church. There was a great feast in, in Israel's history called Pentecost. And Pentecost was the celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai when they came out of Egypt as slaves for 400 years. And they get to Mount Sinai and they're celebrating Pentecost. And now years later, they're celebrating Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection. Everybody's there. Everybody's there. It's the most cosmopolitan, because of the time of year, most diverse celebration in, in all of Israel. That's when God started the church. In the most diverse of times, in the, in the times when all different ethnicities came from all over the known world at that time. Okay, now you have the church. What's going on in the church? Well, you read the book of Acts, and it gives you the history of the church. Acts chapter 2 is where the Holy Spirit came and the church started. Now you get to Acts chapter 6, and they got discrimination, and they got trouble. And those Jews who were Hellenistic, in other words, they spoke Greek, and they lived according to Greek culture, they're telling the Jews who still speak Hebrew, hey, you don't treat our widows like you treat your own widows. And they got discrimination, and they got favoritism. It's sin. 
So what do you do about sin? Acts chapter 6 says this. They chose men among them who were full of wisdom. We're going to need some wisdom. But they were full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this is a sin issue. Because it's a spiritual issue. They actually resolved it. They all reconciled in church. Now listen to this. People of different ethnicities, all across the different lines, they, they resolved it. They got it right. They all did it together. They, 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 they all reconciled. Do you know what the result of that was? Look at, look at Acts chapter 6. It says this. And as a result, God's message continued to be spread. The number of believers greatly increased. In fact, it was so crazy that even some of the Jewish priests were converting to Christianity. Why? Because they figured this out. Because they reconciled across ethnic lines. Because that's what they did. Now you go to Acts chapter 13. You just, you just keep moving through the book of Acts. I'm just telling you historically, this wasn't a one-time deal. This was God's eternal plan from the beginning. And God has just been working it out. Now you get to Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, you see the church at Antioch. Many of you have heard of that, whether you know much about it or not. But it's a church at Antioch. Antioch is about 300 miles from Jerusalem and it's, 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 it's just very diverse in nature, right? And so they have a church there. This is Paul, Paul and Barnabas. We're, just, we're both there. Now, just, just some, this is stuff that we just read over in the scripture. That you, we just got to stop and catch sometimes. This is the church at Antioch. Among, this is just some of their prophets and teachers. You have Barnabas. You have Simeon called the black man. You have Lucius from Cyrene. You have Manan, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. And you have Saul. Now watch this because sometimes we, in our culture today, because this was so long, we just miss this. First of all, you have Barnabas. Barnabas was a Jew. For those of you who are not real familiar, specifically he from, he's from the tribe of Levi. He's a Levite. Levite is where all the priests, all the priests, if you were going to be a priest in Judaism, you had to come out of that tribe, right? But he's Hellenized, which means he speaks Greek. He's culturally, he's Greek. Yes, he looks the same as all the other Jews, but culturally he's very different. That's Barnabas. Then you have Simeon called the black man. Now just stop and think about this. I'm not poking fun. I, I, please don't, don't, don't take it this way. How black do you have to be to live in a place where everybody has dark skin and they identify you as the black man? What does it tell us? He's African. He is specifically an African. There's no other way to get around that. You got Barnabas, who's a Levite, a Jew, a Hellenized Jew. Now you got a black man from Africa. You got Lucius. We got to differentiate because Lucius was a common name. You got Lucius from Cyrene. Cyrene is in North Africa. It's where it's near Libya. Okay, at that time, pre-600, the Arabs, after 600, the Arabs invaded that ter pre territory. Pre-600, they're, they're all African. There's another African. Then you have Manan. This is really interesting language. The childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. King Herod Antipas is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. Manan had the same, the childhood, he was the ch childhood companion. That language means this. They had the same wet nurse. If you're wealthy... In that time, in that culture, you don't breastfeed your own kids. Manan shared the wet nurse with King Herod Antipas. They were buddies. They were both wealthy. King Herod Antipas went his own way, right? Manan went his, and he followed Jesus. And then you have Saul, and I always say Saul, Jew of the Jews, born in Tarsus, raised in Jerusalem under the teachings of Gamaliel, was killing Christians. You talk about the most diverse church, the most ethnic, and that church, because they could do this, it was powerful, powerful, powerful. Go back just two chapters. Think about this for just a second. In Acts chapter 11, we hear about the church of Antioch, and there starts this rumbling in Antioch. What happens in Antioch? Uh, look. I know you Gentile folks have come to Jesus, 
but you ain't circumcised like we are. Uh, we, we think you need to be circumcised. And Paul and Barnabas were there, and they're like, that ain't right. What, what does that have to do with anything? And so they start talking about Paul and Barnabas. They go to, they go to Jerusalem. It's what's known as the Jerusalem Council, Acts, Acts chapter 15. Peter's there. The head of the church is James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. Remember in the gospel, James thought that his brother Jesus was a kook. Didn't believe that he was the Messiah until he saw him resurrected. Because that tends to change people's minds, right? And so they're having this big debate. And finally they say, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? They're all culturally different. They didn't even get circumcised. What do we think? Just FYI, I'm throwing this in there because this is one of my, I have two Bible verses on my, on my cork board that's by my desk. This is one of them. This is part of their decision. James, James finally steps up and he speaks. And I, I just have this written down because I think it's cool. James says, first of all, my judgment is that we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I have that written on my board. Like, why do we make it difficult for people to come to Jesus? you got to dress a certain way. you got to look like a No, no, no. It's already hard enough coming to Jesus, man. you got to surrender everything. That's enough. He says, that's his first thought. And then watch this. This is what he determined was important. I just think this is so when we really look at it. He says this. Instead, here's what we should do. Write and tell them, because they, they're, they're going to send them back. Write and tell, Paul and Barnabas says, write and tell them to abstain from eating food. Stop, stop eating this kind of food offered to idols. Sexual immorality, they all agreed on. Then he also says from eating the meat of strangled animals, that's another food thing. And then also from consuming blood, that's another food thing. Do you notice this? I call these the table rules. Like, we got to fix those rules that would stop folks from sitting at the table together. Because this is where we really fellowship. This is where we really make relationships. I don't care about all that other stuff. Yes, you can't have sexual immorality. We all agree on that. Yes, but we ain't going to make a lot of rules. We ain't going to make it difficult for people. Let's just, let's just make sure that they can do this, that they can meet together. Okay, now, we've gone all the way from, from, from Abram to Abraham. We've seen the church in Antioch. We've seen the Jerusalem Council. Historically, this is God's eternal plan. We know eternity future. We know eternity future. And I read this. This is the other verse that's on my board, right? We know this. We, we already know this. In the Revelation, the book of the Revelation, the Apostle John wrote, he had a revelation. We don't know how, we don't know where his revelation came from, but he saw heaven. He saw into the future and he saw heaven and he saw what it's going to look like. We're going to worship. And people were standing in front of the throne and they were saying, remember this, they were chanting, salvation is from our God and from the Lamb who sits on the throne. But he backed up and he actually described the crowd. God's eternal plan. Watch me, God's eternal plan. He says this, I saw this crowd. They were too great to count. They were from every nation. The word ethnos, they were from every ethnicity. They were from every tribe. They were from every people. They were from every language. They were standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Abram, Abraham. We saw Christ himself. We saw Antioch. We saw the Jerusalem Council. We see into the future in the book of the Revelation. This thing is God's eternal plan. Can I just tell you this? This isn't a burden on my heart because it's cool, because it's in vogue, because it's trendy right now, because everybody's trying to do it. No, it's the plan of God. That's why we're about this. This is God's eternal plan that all the ethnicities would do this, and he's just showing off to the angels. He's like, I got this, watch this. Boom, like there it is. That's God's plan. So can I give you the big so what today? Because if you're newer, here's what we do. Every week we have a big so what, which basically means this. Blah, 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 blah. Sleep, 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 sleep. Big so what. Psst, wake up. Here's all you need to know. Man, when God dreams, when God shows off, he does it in color. 
When God shows off, God shows off in color. That's God showing off. That's why, church, we're so committed to it. It's not a trend. It's not in vogue. It's not hip. It's, it's not the latest thing. I gave you our vision, and, and, and I just need to keep this very. This is our vision statement. We dream, and we dream. We think we're the greatest thing. We dream of being a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church reflecting Christ to our neighbors and the nations. I love the fact that we're a multi-generation. I love the fact that, you know, we had this last week. We, we got folks that have been here 50 years. I love that. I love that we got kids with their pants on fire, can't sit still for a minute. They're in Tiny Valley right now. They're in kids' church. I love that. I love seeing us do this and worship intergenerationally. I love that we are increasingly multi-ethnic. We're a long way from where we were 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. We'll continue to talk about it. We'll, we'll do all that stuff. Now, let's, let's talk in the real world because you and all, you all and I, we live in the real world, don't we? We live where it gets real. So let me just have a real talk with you for just a second. Because the question becomes, what do we do from here? Like, what, what are we going to do about this? What do we do? And as I talk about this, some of, some of you, if, if you're real honest with yourself, don't raise your hands, but if you're real honest with yourself, you go, my stomach kind of gets uneasy. You're a little queasy. This stuff makes me uncomfortable. And, and if that's you this morning, first of all, it's real. And I get it. Man, come and talk to me. I would do everything I can, everything I can just to talk to you and show you this isn't our idea. This is the gospel. I would do everything I could to, to, to just convince you of that. But here's reality. This is real world. Some of you, very possibly, it's very possible that you could say, Neil, I love you, brother, but this just doesn't resonate with me. Just, just, just doesn't work for me. The multi-ethnic church just doesn't resonate with me. And if that's your heart, then here's what I'm going to tell you. you got to go somewhere where it resonates with you, where you can get behind the vision. It'll break my heart. It always does. I'm just telling you that. But, but we bless you. We bless you. We say, you got to go somewhere where you can get behind a vision. And it's okay. It's okay. We bless you and we release you. It's okay. Now, some of you are sitting there and your stomach's getting a little queasy. But you say, Neil, my stomach's getting queasy just because it's different for me. But I'm on board, brother. I'm on board. Some of you say, queasy, Psst, I've been waiting for this all my life. Let's do this thing. Okay, what do we do? Here's the first simple step, man, because we have the big so what. Here's the big now what. And be a part of God's dream. And I would say this, you get to be a part of the dream team. Wouldn't you like to be a part of the dream team? Okay, here's what that looks like. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you are the church. I know that sounds harsh. A lot of folks go to church. Not that many people are the church. Just because you show up here a couple times a month, right, and I love you for it, but it doesn't really make you part of the church. Because the church isn't a place you go. A church is a movement of people on the go. That's the church right? A church isn't a destination. It's not a destiny. A church is a group of people who have a destiny. Yes? Okay. Be a part of the dream team, man. Go to next step. Go to next step. Just learn a little bit more about who we are as a church. Get a little more understanding of why we do what we do. In week three of next step, it's only four weeks, but in week three, you do a a gifts assessment. You find out, oh, oh, how am I wired? How am I gifted? And then where would that fit into the church? See, we, we do all that at Next Step. Some of you have been through all that. Some of you are members and you've just kind of fallen off and you kind of find out you're just a person who goes to church right now. we got to start being the church. I, there's no way I can do this alone. And my staff already knows this. I don't really do anything around here. But my staff can't do this alone. 
The staff of this church is awesome. They're unbelievable. And they can't do this on their own. We need you all to jump in. We, we need you all to jump in and be a part of this. I, I'm just telling you, folks, it, it's never been clear to me. God is up to something. He's doing something. And I think it has the potential to be something so crazy, ridiculous, powerful that in 10 years and 20 years, we're all going to turn around and go, did you see that? Did you see what happened? We were a part of it. Yes. Yes. I'm going to ask you to stand your feet as we close this morning. If you're on our prayer team, I'm going to ask you to come on down front. Prayer team is going to be standing right in front here. And the reason we do this every week, even if I forget to say it sometime, the reason is because this. Because I know, just like everybody in here knows, that sometimes life is challenging. And we need to pray about it. We're the church. We're different. We're a different group of people. Some of y'all are really different. But in general, we're a different group of people. And so we don't hide our problems. We say, yeah, we're human. This is our family. This is who we talk about that stuff with. And so when the service is over, you come up and pray with one of our prayer team. Come up and pray with one of them, right? Some of you, if it's your first week or second week or third week, whatever it is, maybe you've just never been back to the welcome room. Pastor Dan is over here. Raise your hand. Pastor Dan will lead you. You'll go right out those doors. Is our welcome room. You get a chance to get a cup of coffee and meet a few folks, ask a few questions. We've got a gift. It's just our way of saying thank you. Folks, I know we keep talking about this, but we keep talking about it because it's who we are. Have you noticed this? <laughs> like, I'm very comfortable with who we are, and our staff is really comfortable with who we are. We ain't the cool church. We're not the hip church. We're not the, we just are not. We're not the loudest church. We don't put on the greatest show. We're people who dream of being the multi-generational, multi-ethnic church, reflecting Jesus to our neighbors. and neighbors. That's who we are. And so if you need to be at the cool church, it's down the road a bit. I don't, I don't know where. But, and I love the cool churches. I love what they're doing. I thank God for them. It just ain't us. This is who we are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness, God. We praise you. We say praise to God, the Almighty Father in heaven. We love you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that when you ascended, you sent us your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Spirit, that you're here this morning, that you're in our midst. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, thank you for your word and what you've drawn out of it this morning. I pray that you continue to just marinate, stir in our hearts, make us uncomfortable. God, give us a passion for what you're doing here for the vision of this house. Thank you for the believers that you've brought to this house, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the believers who are here, for the believers who are online, who are part of this church. Thank you, Lord God. I pray that you just, just dig that deep into us, oh God. That's your eternal plan. And now, Father, as we leave this building, help us to be the church to a lost and hurting world that desperately needs a Savior. Do the work that only you can do, God. Bring honor and glory to your great name. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Have a great Sunday, folks. Amen.